HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Meet and Three is back. We're kicking off our fourth season and celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary with a very special episode about our home, Brooklyn. Roberta's was such an interesting place with such a strong gravitational pull and attracted all these different groups. The neighborhood has changed a lot over the past decade from its culinary renaissance to the complicated implications of gentrification. I would say the majority of the people who are members of our co-op definitely have a certain purchasing power, are mostly white, and we are trying to change that. We're taking you on a journey that spans the birthplace of food radio to buzzy neighborhood pollinators to the transformative health journey of our borough president. That was my moment of, you know, wow, someone has thrown me a life raft and I'm going to take it. Subscribe to Meet in 3, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, and I am so excited to be back in the Heritage Radio Clubhouse with my main man, Jeet. Jeet, it's so nice to finally meet you in person, instead of just talking over email. But man, what a New York day. I'm so excited to be back in the city that doesn't sleep, and I remember why it doesn't. We have a great show for you today. Diego Moya, chef at Racine, or Racines, depending how you want to throw that S at the end, New York, is here in the house. He's going to talk about growing up uh, in a family that cooked and had restaurants and him finding his own love of small restaurants. And then we have Storefront, which is as Brooklyn as you can get uh, for a New York band. I love it. I'm here. Here we go. Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. I want to build it so com, but it's gone. I'm not pretending to slow Thanks and now let me know Well okay Well they'll get back to me though You sweat
papers by coins, my pencil skirt is a stain. Well, okay, at least it's not on my brain. You're convinced you're equipped, and even more so when you're slightly lit. It's hard to go for broke, especially when we're broke. But honey, at least we can split. Oh my God. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. I uh, forgot about the incredible Roberta's Pizza Hospitality. And now we have a full bar here, too. It's nice. It's nice. Okay. We're, we're dipping into the the Wolf Whiskey. What do we got? It's Wolf. Dire Wolf. We'll call it Dire Wolf Whiskey. <laughs> dire Wolf J- whiskey. Just in celebration that uh, that we got, um, I guess when this airs, this will be the last episode of Game of Thrones. After? Uh, it's it's gonna yeah it's it's airing in a week so uh, here we go but yeah. Diego Moya welcome to Snacky Tunes hey here well cheers 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 a little whiskey good to see you good to see you too so you grew up you were born in Chile mm-hmm. grew up in Long Island yeah parents had a small pizzeria yeah uh, what was that like were you tossing dough with them were you in the mix yeah I mean it, it was it was basically um, kind of just like coming home from school like I, I never really went home I, I had to go to the pizzeria. You know, mix the dough, make the sauces, hang out with the guys that were back there, just kind of like, you know, kind of like pirates, you know, like with their their dirty yellow T-shirts and, you know, all my notebooks were covered in grease. And it was it was really kind of like, you know, it, it wasn't a normal childhood, but it was, you know, for me, it was really special, and really exciting. What made it so special? I think like I just really like to work. Um, I didn't really enjoy much going home and just like writing in a notebook or doing some math. I I prefer to just like get my hands dirty and like get through the day and then go home and take a shower and go to bed. I mean, starting that young, what are some of the lessons that have followed you through now your professional cooking career? Well, I mean, I think it's like, it's twofold. I think the work at that point in my life was very much just work. It wasn't really part of the conversation of, me loving food 
Um, I think I knew even at that age when I was really young that like that food was something that I really wanted to do creatively, artistically um, at that age. Obviously, now I have a different outlook on it. But, you know, it's like, you know, in the end, it all kind of like meets a, an apex and you realize that it's not really artistic or craft or it is work that you do. But, you know, just feeling out how to spend a day and get something done was the most important part of that time in my life. Now, obviously, food is so different of what it was then growing up working in a pizzeria in Long Island and the through line of saying, I'm starting a pizzeria as a teenager and I'm going to go on to be a professional chef is n- not probably what it is today because kids today could be like, I started a pizzeria and maybe one day I'll own my own place. Yeah. Um, so how much did your parents encourage you to keep with cooking with food or support you in, in your decision to become a professional chef? Well, they were pretty good, actually. You know, most parents, especially immigrant parents, are like very much like, you we be, did this. We did this for you so you can just like become a doctor or a lawyer. And they gave me a little bit of that maybe for like a year or two. And then after that, they were like, all right, well, we obviously know this is what you want to do. Um, you know, we couldn't afford for cooking school. I'm sorry. Uh, and then it was like basically just save your pennies and figure it out. And figure it out you did because you eventually, as you got older, made your way to France yeah. to cook uh, with just this guy, Alain Passard. He's this, I know, I know not a lot of people know who he is. Yeah, some of our listeners might know who he is. Some people might know, but. But how do you go from Long Island Pizzeria into one of the most uh, respected uh, vegetable driven restaurants in the world? What I, so it's kind of like a weird story. So we love weird stories here. <laughs> so, you know, like the story that you hear a lot from chefs is like, oh, yeah, we fell in love with like watching great chefs of the world and like seeing how, you know, all these amazing people are kind of just like, you know, doing these great things and these old men with their toques and all this, you know, this, this fun stuff oh, yeah. that, that I would watch when I was coming home from school when I was young. Um, since I couldn't afford for school, I figured I'd just take a leap. So I started saving some money and then threw myself at at Paris and sent, you know, letters to everyone. And real letters, legit letters. Real letters, you know, written on stationery, the nicest I could find and, you know, and followed up with like, you know, maybe 40 or 50 chefs. Um, wow. And he was the only one that responded. What do you think made him respond? I think at some point in the letter, I, I think I wrote something about loving... Um, pulling radishes with my grandfather when I was younger. And I think that might have been what did it. I mean, vegetables have been a really big part of your career and vegetable-driven stuff and working with farms. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship that your family um, had with you and vegetables and sort of implementing their importance on your life? Well, you know, you know as I was younger, my grandfather was a, a farmer uh, for the majority of his life. He was this kind of like big figure that eventually moved out of farming and like became more successful, had a construction company. But that kind of like installation of like knowing that you have to have a connection to the ground and how that translates to flavor was almost before cooking. Um, I have a, you know, like a real direct passion to 
sustainable agriculture and permaculture and things like that where like it's more about the earth and then like you end up getting to work with those kind of things as a cook um and that's the connection that i saw in alan and that he was just basically just his creativity came from the ground it didn't come from some technique or or trying to be creative or trying to be something different he just felt inspired by the vegetables working there has to be both an exhilarating and humbling experience what do you remember from that time and are there any stories that stick out that you say this was a definitive moment of my time working in that kitchen yeah it was it was definitely difficult it was uh it was a tiny tiny kitchen <laughs> I think I've worked at delis that were bigger than that kitchen. Um, it was really special because I think I think the most special time that I had there, besides a few dinners that we did at their farms, were what was actually the morning. You know, getting there at six in the morning and like seeing the vans pull up and the quality of the produce was just like it was basically like these like little jewel boxes that were tended after like as if there were like you know diamonds you know everything packed neatly and beautifully what year was this this was in 2004 i think so that idea of farm to table and vegetable driven food was out there but not like it is today no 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 i mean this was only a few years after he decided to go all vegetarian so it was very much in the smallest sense was a complete shock to the entire restaurant world well it was a shock to to france first i think they what were, was it like being there to, to feel those reverberations of, of this chef who said, we're doing vegetables first and only vegetables first? I think that, that, like, in a way, it was really special because he was so gung-ho about the idea. I think he was so confident that he... I don't think anyone on the team felt that it was something that was, like, out of this world. Like, he just knew. And how does that inspire and stick with you to see this chef who has so many accolades so much recognition and for him to do something so bold especially in France where meat is such a giant part of the culture how does that inspire you what stays with you after seeing a chef like that working for a chef like that make that decision I think it's you know it's bold and I think that anybody that cooks um, anybody that opens a restaurant anybody that opens a restaurant in a metropolis like you have to have the stones and like the ability to, 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 to go your own path it's not always easy, and especially with like the way it's getting harder to open restaurants and like the, the the expenses. New York is getting expensive. San Francisco, like to do something different is, is very difficult, and you really have to have um, a vision and you have to stick with it, and you might fail. But he did it on the highest level, and it was, you know, you really can't fault him for it because he was successful and he still really, is. He's still successful, um, still killing it, and he's just. You know, an amazing person to be around. So after you spent your time in Paris, what prompted your decision to leave and then to travel the world? Because you went to Peru, you were in Chile. Mm -hmm. What made you want to travel the world and cook in different kitchens? I think I went back to South America just because I wanted to get a, a feel of the of the cuisine. Um, Chilean cuisine is kind of like it's hitting a little bit of a mark right now. But when I was there was very very basic peru is has a very rich you know culinary history and and i learned a lot there and got to spend some time working with some really good chefs 
down there, but it was basically just to, to touch base with home. And what did you learn when you were there, even though it was not at the same high level of gourmet that you had just come from? What stayed with you? What did you take with you? What was important about going back home and cooking? I think I think we all kind of have like some sense of, of home and and what we want uh, from our memories. Even though I left when I was really young, like these memories stick with me and these flavors stick with me. Not that I necessarily use them a lot at this point, but um, the seasoning and and the vegetables and you know it being the home of all these amazing vegetables that we use now, like tomatoes and potatoes and all these things uh, that have been used for so many so many years. And you know, there's no there's a there's a good reason why it's so delicious and why they've had so much time to develop these flavors is because they've just had enough time. Right. Uh, um, so you're in South America cooking around. What eventually, what is that siren song that brings you back to New York City? New York. I mean, I mean, fair. F- that is, yes, you are correct that you can answer that question with the question. Um, but what, what eventually, cause you came back to the city. You didn't go back to Long Island, correct? Yeah. Um, but what was the opportunity? What made you want to come back to New York? I mean, this was what late aughts so like 2010 no, it was 2008 2009 I mean New York was and again we talk about highs and lows in New York but New York was on the top at that time yeah yeah it was starting to get I mean I mean it was hot there was all these like you know small explosions happening in Brooklyn we're at <laughs> we're sitting at Roberta's and yeah. you know I, I was here for a short while like when it was like really like raucous and fun and like you got one story from the early days of Roberta's Oh yeah, give me I mean, one. I I, th- I think I, I passed out in, in in the garden like at seven in the morning and woke up at like eight in the afternoon once. <laughs> um, yeah, it, w- it was like a long sleep and it was a deeply ridiculous night. Oh yeah, I know what nights you're talking about. Yeah, um, but so that energy that that brought you back here, what was inspiring about it? But also, what were you bringing with you from your past experiences? I think that, like, uh, you know, the stuff from South America, not so much. It, you know, it was just kind of more of like a soul-searching thing. From Europe, you know, it was a lawn. It was the quality of vegetables and stuff that I hadn't seen in New York. So when I got back here, I, I realized that I, I wanted to work with some, some like, fine dining chefs. And, like, I really admired that route. But more than anything, I wanted to work with guys that were kind of like New York restaurant people. You know, and what defined that for you as like a New York restaurant person? I think like a a guy that's been here, probably grew up in the neighborhood, or like in the area, um, that been around for a long time. That had a fifty seater, you know, that that had, was a sous chef for seven years. I wanted to work with that kind of guy because I wanted to open a restaurant that size. So right. you can't learn that from the fine dining guys. No. Well, listen, we're gonna take a quick musical break because we're gonna talk about you working some of the smaller restaurants. Um, and then we're talking about Racine, New York. We have a song from the Musical Archives coming to you live from the studio in Brooklyn here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
to Snacky Tunes. I'm one after your host, Aaron Bresnitz. So excited to be coming from the belly of the beast at Heritage at Roberta's. Mm. We have Diego Moya, chef of Racines in New York. So you're back in New York, you're cooking around. And one of the things that I've noticed about your history of cooking and restaurants that you've worked in is that you really were drawn to these smaller places. Um, now, New York has some famous giant rooms, your Budokans and your things like that, which you can learn a lot from, from like a volume point of view and a money-making point of view. But what drew you to those smaller places, those more uh, auteur, chef auteur driven, driven restaurants? I think it's like, it's, it's basically, I think originally it was, it was, it was educational just so I can learn how to do it. Cause I knew I wanted to open a restaurant and I was gung-ho about it in New York and uh, it's not the easiest thing, so like, why not learn from the guys that are doing it like on the grassroots without much money? Um, and then it was kind of like cuisine driven, and you know, I I just knew that you know I knew this guy Harold Dearly was you know was on Top Chef, and shout out Harold, Harold, you know, like still a good friend of mine, and like you know a fishing buddy, and just like an amazing guy, and and he was doing something different with Thai food, and like I wanted to see. 
you know, how to, how to use those flavors. And then after that, Casamono for a bunch of years. I mean, Casamono was one of the hottest restaurants in I mean, New York at the time. I mean, if, if you actually draw the distinction and you go back through the timelines, the trend of like small... Uh, shareable plates that you know Estella does, and sure. you know all these restaurants. Four do. Horsemen, all that. Horsemen. It basically started there, and um, you know, obviously with, with some parallels to Spain, but like that model began there. And I remember all these chefs coming in and and just spending time there and trying to learn the model. <laughs> and that is the nicest way of saying stealing. No, no, no. What? <laughs> No, no, because you can't steal a model. No, you can't steal a model. You can't. You can't steal a model. All but right, let, let me ask you this: up. Inspired. You're, you're. What is it like to be part of a restaurant? Because you're at Roberta's and you're at Casa Mono, um, You're with Harold. To be at these restaurants that are just in the lamest of the words, I can't think of any other word, but just hot. Like they are the restaurant. What is it like to be at the center of that, and, and not just like a hanger on. But to be one of the guys putting up the food, doing the shopping. I mean, I, I honestly, like, I, I haven't worked at a, a slow restaurant, besides, you know, the one that I opened. Which oh. But like, shout I, out to Hemlock. <laughs> shout out to Hemlock. But all the rest of them have been, you know, just kind of like these machines that just like roll through it, and because they're on the, you know, on th- on the thread. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. You get to meet all these people, all these chefs, and. You do food that kind of resonates, and you know, at each of these restaurants, I'm trying to push it more. Um, part of what you also built, being at these restaurants, is a network and connections with farms. Yeah, and having respect for that, and you know, New York now it's a given that New York restaurants are going to have a relationship with farms. Yeah, and they're going to have this reciprocal relationship where. They're on the menu and things like that. But when you were coming back, getting started, it wasn't always a given. No. So how did you build those relationships? And what really drove you to build those relationships? Well, I mean, you know, the the quality of produce and less so the quality of protein. You know, I, I moved that way at some point. But the quality of produce has always been like a real focus for me. And the reason why I took the job at Casamono was because I met... Anthony Sasso, the chef at the time at the Green Market. And I was going to go to Per Se or somewhere else. And he rolls up with this janky, like, you know, Red Rider, like, like Love it. cart with sunflowers and anise hyssop and heirloom tomatoes and all this, all this stuff that I got. He's like, why don't you just come work for me for a while and just hang out? And I, and I said, I'd be stupid not to. No. And, and then I just basically spent like every week there, every day a new dish. And every day that the, the market was open, it was a block away, you know? So yeah. like I could literally have family meals, shoot out, grab some stuff, and then come back and do a dish. And how was that inspiring what you were putting up on the menu, especially since you were doing these smaller shared plates? What flexibility did that give you? Well, it gives you the flexibility that you can just run specials and that, you know, you price them out. You don't really have to worry too much about how they fit into the menu. Um, and the menu there was like Spanish, but also eclectic, and we just were able to have fun with it and very focused on on good farm. So, not once was it ever a question that the dish wouldn't fit on the menu. I mean, when you're working off this farm-driven menu, how much of it is really developing and refining a dish versus just taking exceptional produce and just doing as little as possible to turn it into a dish? 
Well, it takes time. I, I think at that point in my career, I think it was it was much more about developing a dish using something. Now, absolutely not. Whatever comes in, we like we we dial it back and we look at what the ingredient is and we just like go straight forward with that idea and we don't take any time to develop. We just do it. So what allowed you to have that confidence to just celebrate the vegetables that you have? Is it confidence in yourself? Is it just knowing how to treat vegetables? You know, because sometimes you could be like, well, yeah, those are just, those are radishes that have been sliced and served with butter. I mean, I could do that at home, but you know, what's allowing you to put your mark on it and still have a mark as a chef and saying you're doing something to the ingredient with as little as possible and still just saying we've cooked this. I love you for that question. So, it, it, so there's a couple of things. I, I think that like in the past three or four years, especially with Hemlock, we all sat down for, for a couple of weeks and we, we talked and we really wanted to kind of like get more introspective on the vegetables. Uh, we wanted to find out how we can season using the vegetables themselves, how we can ferment, how we can use scrap, um, how we can use flavors that are adjacent, um, herbs that are traditionally part or seasonings that are part of these dishes traditionally, but using them in an interesting way. And it's like at Hemlock, we were doing it like very, very seriously. We were like maybe using one hint on a dish. Now I'm kind of like a little bit more loose with it, but it creates like uh, a new tool set for things that you can do uh, to accentuate things that have been around. Interesting. I mean, it's amazing how you get older and as a chef and you go, we need to respect what's coming through the back door through the the pro you know through the suppliers more and more and more instead of me just being like this is just a tool to me to write my own thing to show how much I can do yeah like I, it, it's not about it's not about you I, I mean there's so many chefs and I'm, I'm gonna shout out to Jeremy Fox because I shout out Jeremy Fox shout out Jeremy Fox He's, great episode yeah great go episode. to the archives yeah check it out check it out um, you know just because like you know he was one of my inspirations but when he had Ubuntu, and at the time I had a just like a life-changing meal where where he wasn't he wasn't trying to maybe he was trying to show off but but he was doing things in such a simple way that that I felt that what better way than to create these small pockets of of deliciousness just using whatever you have simply without trying to exacerbate it with any kind of fireworks. I mean, it's it's that editing, right? Editing. It's, it's the editing, the editing, the Simplicity. editing. Simplicity. Simplicity. Which is so hard. It's so hard. So you had Hemlock for a little, mm-hmm. um, which... Damn, what a footnote. <laughs> what a, I mean, look, I don't want to breeze past it because I do want to fo- get to... Receive, no, 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 yeah, of course. Yeah, but, course. you know, how do you deal with that? Like, you, you had a clear vision. You knew exactly what you wanted to do. The pedigree says, is this going to work? But then you're also in New York, and that means... You know, nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, you know, it was like a short swan song that like kind of just got was underfunded, and I had to let it go. And you know, it you know it happens. It happens to so many people. It happens every day. Um, I'm not special because I closed a restaurant. You know, it's just like you have to move on and figure out the next one. And the next one was Racine. Yeah. Or Racines. Racines. However you want to say it. Racines. Racines. Um, How did you get involved in there? 
what made you want to get in because you know that had its own pedigree yeah. uh, you know the guy before you was this little known chef no no Paul DeBron like yeah, yeah. you know watch for him he might be he might be coming up next he's on his way up he's on his way up um, but how do you go to this restaurant how'd you get involved and then obviously something that already has uh, a trajectory a reputation a menu how do you come in um, respect what's happening but also then make it your own yeah it's a that's a very complicated question. Um, it's only it's 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 only hard. It's softballs at the beginning, and then we work our way up to hardballs. <laughs> nice. So I'll, I'll like I'll make it kind of cut and dry. So like at the time, I was kind of heartbroken because the restaurant closed, and I was trying to find out the next move. Uh, I had some offers, um, you know, some hotel stuff, and you know, some smaller stuff, some things that were maybe like in the pipeline for, for a year away, sure. and like. You know, we're in New York. We got to make money now, and you know, oh pay, yeah, pay that damn rent. You got to pay that rent, pay the bills, pay the bills, and pay for your whiskey. And oh like, yeah, you know, it's no, like no. Look, you get a show at Heritage. You work for ten years, and then yeah. a bar shows up. That's yeah. how you pay for the whiskey. Nice. Um, but so the opportunity comes. Yeah. And because uh, he had the menu up until December thirty first yeah. of last year, mm-hmm. right? So how'd you get involved? How do you want to start respecting his vision, but also start making it your own? So we were uh, so we were in talks like maybe like two months before then it was pretty quick. Um, Alice Firing, who was like for me like the 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 goddess of natural wine, and she she, she tells a story about natural wine. I'm, I'm a huge fan of wine. Um, she helped me out of Hemlock for a while. Um, she put me in touch with Pascaline, and Pascaline Lapeltier is like probably the hottest figure in wine right now. Actually, yeah. she's in France right now getting her MOF. Damn. Which is like, you know, like the cute little like, like, you know, blue, red and white thing that they put around their collars. Yeah. Huge deal. And if you don't know, you look at it, you go, oh, that's a cute little neckerchief. Yeah. That's a cute little thing. And then for those, you know, you go, it's damn. It's like literally like the best of your craft. You know, it's like humongous honor. And she's, she's a rock star. And I, I decided to take the job mostly because of her. Um, because to work around a wine professional like that is like very rare, but also like a kitchen that was kind of like figuring itself out, didn't really have an identity. I had a lot of cooks like that were waiting on the sidelines to do something fun. Um, so I kind of like just grabbed the opportunity to pull them all in and then work with her. And so it's very wine driven. I mean, the cellar is insane. You're working with one of the most impressive wine people in the world. Um, but you also have your own pedigree of working at these incredible restaurants, um, working with vegetables, having a clear vision of what you know, what you like, and also loving these smaller restaurants. Mm-hmm. So how did the marriage work? How did you come in? What did you bring in? What did you say? This is what I'm willing to accept from your point of view because you're already a restaurant, but this is what I need to say to make it my point of view as a restaurant. You find the balance and like, you know, it's, 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 it's sometimes a little bit tricky to, to understand that you're not the, at least at this point, I'm not the boss. Um, so I, like, they've given me full reign to do whatever I want. And, and uh, the food has kind of like angled slowly at the beginning towards like slightly French and French accents. But in all honesty, all the, all the food that's done in New York, almost down to like, you know, the pizzeria is French driven in a way. I mean, so, you know, ever since World's Fair, 
Yeah. And all the French I, restaurants I, I came mean, over in the late 1800s. New York's never really escaped that French-driven no. idea at the highest level. And then also at the what you discovered in Paris, yeah. just the now the little jewel box of vegetables showing up at restaurants. Exactly. So it's, 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 all, like, it's all really French. And they've been pretty understanding with that. And um, as we've been moving forward, I was playing around with a lot of French flavors, but but now I'm kind of just like pushing more to do things that are just like more of my style, more delicious, and more focused on the vegetables, and um, trying to find that balance of that Tribeca crowd. So, you know? per- what's a perfect night for you? Set me up with a perfect night at the restaurant. Perfect night. Um, we have a a great balance of like industry. Yeah. Rich people, so like like you know big spenders and big wine spenders, wine heads, and also young kids because I, I had that crowd at Hemlock, that right. very like young, foodie crowd. I feel like Hemlock was that punk band that broke up. It was like a B side. It, it was, was a B like side, deep cut that kinda, people love. Yeah, and they go, oh, I'm gonna follow that chef to his next thing because yeah. I was a Hemlock head. Yeah, and now he's over here, and we're still getting riffs of that. And it's like a little bit more Tony, but like it's like whatever. Okay. Nothing. Okay. Look, people say Tony like a bad word, but Tony's fine sometimes. When you get older, Tony's great. Tony's great. Tony is fantastic. Yeah. So it's a good mix, and you're still working with a bunch of local farms, right? So even more so now, actually. Like I've developed those relationships, and now we've figured out how to, you know, really pull almost only from them. That's amazing. Um, What's your footprint? Twenty miles? Thirty miles? Fifty miles? I mean, I, I don't really put a number to it, but it, it's, it's about, I would say it's about 40 miles. That's pretty good. Uh, it's pretty good. And then we also have a, a good friend of mine that makes wine. Um, he, he grows vegetables for us and that's special, you know. That's amazing. You have you have people making specific things, growing specific yeah. things. Yeah, we mm. did like a seed catalog thing two years ago and we're like cool. still going. And now it's about to be spring, summertime in New York. Yeah. That's when it really shines. Oh man, it's, it's great. Like, you know, coming into a restaurant in the winter, for the first time with a new menu, with my style food, is very difficult. But it gives you a good way to just sort of establish yourself and yeah. not get distracted by, oh, we gotta get these carrots on, oh, we gotta get the tomatoes on, oh, we gotta do this. No, yeah. It's just, you're, like, you're like, we got potatoes, we got strawberries. You, you, you set up the menu, it's very basic, but like, you know, we really tried to like hammer, at least with a few of the dishes, that it was my style, and some of the dishes I play kidding, like the, the crowd and like the, the style of the restaurant. So we, we've developed this. Uh, this menu like so far and I think it's like, going pretty well awesome well Diego thank you so much if people want to follow you in the restaurant where can they go on, on social media Diego Moya on uh, on on Instagram I've, I've been around since the, the beginning of Instagram Ooh. So, uh, I think not yeah. just hot to the restaurants but hot to the gram hot to the gram and in Racines New York uh, check it out and come in and Coming for a wine and vegetables, yeah. Yeah, we, we have a little kitchen counter, and you know you can come to the bar. You can come with your mom for a big table. It's like a pretty big. I'm pretty restaurant. sure that the best seat in the restaurant is at the bar. Couple of plates, glass of wine. Well, the kitchen counter, so I can hang out with you, and then for sure you, you'll have a good experience. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Cheers, we'll do a little chin-chin on the whiskey. Chin-chin. Boom, boom. Uh, We're going to have another song from the archives, and then we got Storefront Live here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
my patience is waning I don't give a damn anymore For six years I waited angry and frustrated I don't give a damn Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, 
including Kotbalk Cave-Aged Cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit meusa.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Sari Kamen. And I'm Leah Kurtz. And together we host Food Without Borders here on HRN. Immigrants make our food system vibrant, diverse, and delicious. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about how food connects them to their past as we explore what it's like to be an immigrant in the U.S. today. You can find Food Without Borders wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Coming to you from the legendary clubhouse behind Roberta's. We have Storefront in the studio. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us to W-S-N-K-Y. To what? I mean, I was just trying to do like, you know, when you hear a radio Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, what would it be? Like W-S-N-K? I guess it would be W-H-R-N for Heritage Radio Network. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Coming to you live from W-H-R-N. Hi, this is Storefront. This is Storefront. W-H-R-N. So for those who are unfortunately in the dark and not on that hot tip of the New York scene. Who is Storefront? Storefront is a band comprised of me, Amy Rose Spiegel, the lead singer, uh, Peggy Wang, who is our bassist and kind of our guiding force. Chalky Can we say Boy. spiritual guru? We can't. <laughs> oh. I don't think we can. Okay. But what we can say, what we can say is that Peggy is the reason for this whole band. We'll oh, so into- she's the raison d'etre. Yeah, that that seems more accurate Fair to enough. me. Um, Chalky White, who is our fabulous drummer, uh, Brandon Loro, guitarist, and Bob, baby Bobby Marshall, also a guitarist. Um, we are big fans of a good New York five borough through and through band at Snacky Tunes. But what we love are really the reasons of why these bands decide to come together and form as one, like a Voltron. Um, what is your reason for existing? Why do you guys love being storefront? I'm going to throw that one to Peggy, I guess. <laughs> because I think you were kind of, you were, you were the locomotive, I think, behind this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the truth is that we did meet through work, and this is something that we do outside of work everyone needs. (laughs) Yeah, so Peggy and I had worked together when I was like 22 years old, and uh, I had just gotten my first office job ever, and I was really nervous about it, and I fucked it up a lot. Um, I would always get in trouble. Everyone should be in their early 20s and fucking up a New York job. I I agree, Uh, but like, I was just really going for it. Like, I would come to my office job in like a bathing suit and a fur. (laughs) Where were you you working? I was working at BuzzFeed where Peggy was like... That seems appropriate, right? I I thought so. (laughs) I thought so. It, It went okay. So, Peggy and I met there, and Peggy very kindly took me under her wing. And how did how did we actually start playing together? I don't know that I remember as well as you do. Um, I think I heard you sing. You were singing something random in the office. <laughs> Should have been fired. And yet another reason. And I was like, wait, do you sing? 
Yeah. So. <laughs> what's up, girl? Do you sing? It was literally, what's up, girl? Do you sing? We were already yeah. friends. So. Yeah, I had I had really taken to Peggy because, as you can see, like she's a really charming person, and I think in an office setting, you don't often come across a really charming person. So oh, we'd been kicking it, and. Uh, we started playing music with my friend John, who moved to LA, and we had a band called Task, and the band called Task was a nightmare band. Um, like, we, uh, is that a genre or a I, noun? I, I can say that we coined it, like, we would get into like this tiny, dingy practice space every Saturday, and uh, one of us would lie on a piano, we drank like a fifth of whiskey every single time we practice. Right, right, right. But, right. I mean, like, John moved away, thank God, and then... Years <laughs> like, that's my best friend. I just saw him, but, like, th that was that was a scene and a time. So then, Bob, I was working at this other place, and, like, as a music editor, and I was in Chicago at, like, a VFW hall. Do you know, like, a VFW hall with that? Absolutely. Is? It's where we went to shows when we were growing up. Sure, of course. So, like, we're at one of those, and this man, our guitarist Bob, comes up to me and he's like, you're in your sweet life. I said, yeah. Yeah. Damn right. <laughs> Continue to be. And he was like, you got me wasted when uh, when I got my job at BuzzFeed. Like, you took me out. Is Do that the same that? wing that Peggy took you under? Is that a different type of it wing? It was a Bob, what do you think? Like, what happened here? You, you take it from here. <laughs> um... What was it? Uh, it was literally, um, at the time, uh, Amy was dating a friend of mine from college. Um, I had started playing music a little bit with Peggy outside of everything, and uh, we didn't have a singer. And so um, I had met Amy like randomly at a bar, and Amy was just like, congratulations on BuzzFeed. Do you know Peggy Wang? And I'm like, I do. She's great. And she's like, and Amy was like, we know all the same people. Let's like, I'm gonna get you like very drunk. So she did. Yeah. Um, and then later on, when we were looking, when Peggy and I were starting to jam and talking about a singer, she's like, oh, this Amy Rose Spiegel would be a great singer for this. And I was just like, oh, I met her once at a bar. And then. Um, <laughs> but sometimes that's all you need in New York, is that we had one night together. And it's one of my favorite nights in New York. Oh yeah, it was it yeah. was a hundred percent one of those I like random that. nights. And then I met we're at some party at a VFW, like Amy was saying, and uh, I go to my girlfriend like, oh, that's Amy Rose Spiegel. Like she got me drunk once. We should, I have to invite her to be in this band. And so I just approach her randomly and say like, Peggy thinks that you should be in a in a band <laughs> so with us. So it was random with the, the tent. Yes, it yeah, was the, yeah. The pitch was. Peggy. That was like definitely I mean, the pitch. You can sell me on anything if you started with Peggy. Like, even when we were recording our EP recently, Peggy and I were joking. I'm always like, yeah, I'm a really cool friend, Peggy. Like, I'll do anything for Peggy. Anything Peggy says, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, okay. I feel like anything for Peggy is the real uh, benchmark of making it in New York. I agree. <laughs> I could not agree with you more. It's been years of that for me. Awesome. So thank you. All right, let's rip into a song. Storefront, what, do you, what do you got? What's the first song? Should we do... Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this one is called I Love You Like I Say I Do. Awesome. Well, here we go. Storefront, live on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org.
So being in New York, starting a band, uh, what is it like to start a band in New York these days? Fucking sick. I would recommend it to everybody. Um, is it the best side hustle that you can do? Oh, it's not a side hustle. For me, like, Unfortunately, I think it's different for me than maybe some other people in our band, but like, it's really just like having a group of best friends that you can go and write things with. And eventually, like something, oh, you're like, oh, I have to play a show, or like put on an EP, or like whatever. But it, it it's really nice. Like it's you just hang with your people. Somehow it was easy for us, though. What do you think, Bob? Um, I, you know, this is the first band I've ever done in New York. Um, so I, I know Peggy and Brandon have done other things, but uh, other had other projects in New York. But I think the weird thing that doesn't really get talked too much about about starting a band in New York is like how expensive it is compared to like <laughs> anywhere else in terms of like recording in terms of like it's about space right space i mean like because you know especially if you're growing up and you're like a kid like like i did in the midwest like everybody has a basement sure so or everybody's parents has a ba- or a garage there's space to put stuff and here there's you're always like trying to find uh, just any place to like be able to actually spread out and like we're a five person band like we were just looking at our practice space that we're like oh I don't even know if all of us can fit in here so it's definitely like very different than other other cities I've been in bands in but like it's also I think like the idea of being able to play like really fun shows and like the venues we've been play, able, able to play at is like so awesome we're playing tomorrow at Baby's Alright which is like the first venue I was ever taken to in New York when I moved here like my first like weekend here so is that was, where I got you drunk? yes that's actually where Amy and I first met at <laughs> Baby's right. Alright shout, shout out, out to Babies love shout those out. guys love those guys too so when you start a band in New York and you get super excited about it how long is it in five person secret incubation like we're just having our own little secret band before you start telling people about it <laughs> If I had it my way, nobody would ever know about us. <laughs> so I think I feel differently yeah, maybe about this. Secret. This. Yeah. It's out of the bag, I guess. Um, but what do you do? I mean, like, how long do you practice, come together? 
work on your craft before you start telling people about it? Or is it you form a band Saturday and Saturday at the bar, you're like, yo, I'm in a band. Oh, I brag about us constantly. Like, I was bragging about us, like, before we wrote a song. I was like, this fucking sick band, storefront. Like, yeah, we, don't e- we didn't even have a name at that point. But I don't know. What, what would you say to this, Peggy? Um, I mean, I feel like it just comes up. I don't, like, try to, like, seed it intentionally. Well, thanks a lot, dog. Sorry. See, here I am, like, out here being like, Peggy is, like, my heart and cool spirit. That's my guiding light. That's my fucking lodestar. Peggy's like, Peggy's like, chill. I don't tell anybody. Keep it chill, Amy. <laughs> I know, that's that's our whole thing. So, Peggy, that's usually the dynamic, actually. Yeah. Um, you guys have actually recorded your first single, and you guys have recorded a full EP, correct? Yeah, we have. Um, when did you realize that you were ready to record that first song? When did you start feeling that you had written something that you wanted to share with the world on a permanent basis? Brandon, I feel like you know this. Sure. So, um, I don't know, once we kind of gelled and we had some of our own material after you know a few months of... of having a good time and, and really kind of just getting to know each other. I'm, you know, one of the newer people in the mix, um, although Bob and I met years ago. Um, but I feel like we we recorded a little kind of quick session, like where we um, where we rehearse um, with a, you know, very slightly different lineup. And I think once we heard just the raw cut of that, we were like, hmm, maybe this is something more than just, uh, you know, a couple hours and Bloody Marys over the weekend, so... <laughs> Are you sure? I mean, Bloody Marys, I've heard about this about you guys. Bloody Marys is a big part of your rituals. It is. Absolutely. Our blood type as a band is Bloody Mary. Oh, um, so it's part Worcestershire. Well, yeah, so so we practice at the sweatshop. There's a bar right near there, and they serve shout Bloody Marys. Shout them out. Marys. We love them. They're called, it's called Tradesmen. Yeah. Tradesmen, shout them out. <laughs> love them. Love them. And they do Bloody Marys until 4 p.m., so sometimes I leave early and <laughs> gotta grab that bloody, you know. So I uh, he's like, "Fuck this practice! Like yeah. I really gotta go to this bloody." Hey guys, and the it's three fifty-two, no and I'm trying to get there by three fifty-nine. <laughs> it's literally that Peggy will drop her base and run. <laughs> like it's I, like that. I had a, a disgusting trend of a while back in my days in in Brooklyn of asking for Bloody Marys at nighttime bars. Oh, that is gross. Is that, is that not okay? <laughs> it is not. I mean. The looks I would get said that it was not okay, but I thought it was okay. I don't think it is. I don't think I don't know. Uh, that's that's some warm bloody mary mix there. Uh, you got, like that 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 has like a little bit of like a culture. On that's it, that's why ice was ice was invented for that reason. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, let's hear let's hear right, another song. Boy. Wait, guys, can we do rip the price off instead of free girls a, please? Would that be okay? Please, please, please. Uh, sure. Please. Sure. Let's do it. Thank you. Okay, cool. So, okay. what do we got? This is a song called Rip the Price Off. I think it was one of the first songs we wrote together. Sweet. All right, here we got Rip the Price Off. Okay. Storefront, live on Sacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.org. Yeah. 
There's a funny story, as we all jam on pizza here, about all of you guys eating pizza before your first show. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, what's the story there? So, the thing about this is we record sometimes at Peggy's house, uh, like, just to, like, fill in vocals, or, like, we'll go and practice there. And we were playing a show at Transpicos, which happens to be very close to where you live. And it was our first show ever, and... Uh, any anybody in this room can tell you that I get really fucking nervous before anything. I flip out a little bit. So Peggy was like, "Let's go." Not back. just shows. Everything, everything. Were so, you nervous before this show? Yeah, I was really. Nervous. Yeah, I'm still nervous before every show. I know. So so we went back to your house, and you and I were freaking out and doing our makeup, but like, tell, set the scene. It was great. Um, I don't know. We were like applying highlighter to our faces. <laughs> Peggy and I were like perched inside of her sink while the dudes were eating pizza and Brandon, God bless Brandon, our guitarist, one of our guitarists was just like, Brandon is like my heart and cool spirit because he can see me get nervous and he can watch my face freak out. And he, like he, but I, I lock eyes with him whenever we're playing a show and I'm just like, all right, just like take me through it, whatever. Um, Brandon, tell us about what happened here because I was blacked out nervous. I don't know. You, you exuded confidence. I think you were so nice to me. What a nice... That yeah. is correct. That so, is the so only we, answer that is correct. I know, I know. They're, like, honestly, that's what it's like to be in a band is just, like, people telling you shit about yourself that isn't true, and then you make oh it true. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> it was totally awesome. fine what you did last night. That was totally great. I mean, these dudes last night had... I went to go, like, run errands, and apparently, like, a storefront had, like, a lost Friday night that I wasn't a part of. Peggy, can you summarize what happened? 
Um, <laughs> yeah. This morning I had down. a text from Peggy that was like, like, can someone get my base? I don't know where it is. <laughs> Duh. But it was also like, it's going to make it sound like the bougiest band because we were like getting really drunk on chilled orange wine. <laughs> totally fine. Totally fine. That is an acceptable answer in 2019. Um, so let's talk about 2019 and what you guys have coming up. You have an EP coming out. We correct? Do. And I would love to quiz your listeners as to whether we should call it Organize Your Workplace or Just for the Summer. Oh, all right. So just to be clear, the only listener we know. that is going to respond is my mom. So oh. she will pick the name of your, of your Wait, EP. Wait, can she actually do a write-in then? Yeah, we'll, we'll have Wait, to do a write-in. Wait, can your mom write in our EP name? Yeah, well, I'll ask my mom. Because we don't know what to call it. Yeah, mom, if you're listening, when you're listening, please pick the EP name. <laughs> Wait, does anybody else in this band have a strong opinion that they want a voice for the record? I like just for the summer, actually. Just for the summer, by the way, is a fantastic EP name for a New York band. I'm just going to say, I'm going to throw it out there that it doesn't really get better than that for New York vibes, New York bands. Okay, yeah, I think it's like our guiding principle as a band right now. Like, you can do anything just for the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's, what is it, a May to August romance? Mmm, yeah, I guess in this case it would By be. By the way, that's that's a freebie if you want that one. Whoa, dog, <laughs> we're like Dashboard Confessional now. That's <laughs> sick. Finally. Damn. Um, All right, sh- should we play a song? What's up? What no, do you want I got us to one do? more question, we'll yeah, play one last oh song. Yeah, give us your um, question. Your group text is called Dark Wine, as a band? It is. How did that happen? <laughs> Bob? <laughs> To Bob. Bob, we're going to throw that one over to you. I feel like we're just going to come off like alcoholics on this show. Um, it's, you're, you're a young New York band. If you're not alcoholics, I don't know what you are. I, I, like, I feel like the doc, like I should show this like my doctor or something and ask him if he thinks I have a problem. But um, it was, uh, it was uh, another day at a tradesman, um, and I was drunk, and I didn't... And Amy, I was getting wine for Amy and Peggy, and I didn't know... <laughs> this is my favorite I didn't... I forgot th- that, like, the options are, like, red and white, so I asked them do they want, like, a light wine or a dark wine. <laughs> Fair. The best. Fair. That is... The actual best. That is an uh, actual term in the wine world, No, dark no, wine. you didn't even ask light or dark. You asked, do you want a white wine or do you want a dark wine? <laughs> All right, so if people want to follow you on Instagram or social media, where can they find you? Um, they can find us at Storefront. NYC at Storefront NYC or they can find me at Amy Rosary Bob at, at Baby Bobby Marshall dot business dot net dot gov yeah yeah dot geofront Peggy is at Pepstep Chalky <laughs> and Brennan of horror social media <laughs> that's basically where we're at you know I think it's good that the band is split on some people being on social media and some people not I think it's good I think if you're on social media it doesn't really work huh it yeah. Keeps the wine dark. Yeah, keeps that your, wine I dark. think it ruins your guitar playing if you're on Twitter. All right, well, listen, <laughs> I want to thank Storefront. I want to thank Diego Moya. Thank you to Jay Strell for setting it up. Thank you, Jeet. I'm so happy we finally met in person. Shout out to the entire Heritage family. Greg, wherever you are in the world. We love you so much, Greg. And we miss to you. my wife on Mother's Day, I love you so much, Anna. And to my baby girl, Josephine. <sighs> This has been Snacky Tunes. I'm one after your host, Darren Bresnitz. What's the last song we got going? The last one is called I Would. We're also taking suggestions from your mom. It's a right. title. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to everyone, which will be weird because this show is playing a week after Mother's Day. Mom. Mom, I got here this you for go. You. It's late, but here we go. Thank you so much, and uh, here we go. Storefront on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs>
Catches on Halloween as the Lemonheads. Shout out Evan Dando. Shout out PJ Vogue. Shout out Greg Bresnitz. Where are you? Like, yeah. Um, shout out Baby's All Right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you next week. See you next week. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.